It feels like I've been away for uh, a long time. Uh, it's only been a couple of weeks. I did the math uh, to make sure. Um, but I have been in touch. Uh, Pastor Chris and I have been talking, as we frequently do, via email, text, and all that. And um, Interestingly, uh, recently we had a conversation about something that wasn't biblical, theological, or church-related. Um, I went to him for a little bit of advice because I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a smoker. I never thought that I would do that. And, uh, but, you know, that, it, it just sort of occurred to me, and I thought, well, I know a lot of men in my life that, that I, you know, hold in high esteem that are smokers. And uh, my father-in-law is a smoker, and, and I respect him, and I thought, you know, that it might be good for me, it might be good for my image, it might be something to get into, but I thought I better seek counsel. And so I, I talked to Pastor Chris, and I was surprised that he admitted to me that he was a smoker and said he, he quite enjoyed it for, for quite a while, actually. Um, and he said that, you know, given the right circumstance, he might get into smoking again. But he cautioned me, don't start with brisket. He said it's very difficult to do. He said go with the ribs. The ribs just fall off the bone. So why do I bring that up? Well, because if you heard the first part of that and left the room... You may have a really different idea of what I was talking about. Sometimes one word can get in our heads and we can have this preconceived notion of what that word is when it really means something different. Same word, two things. So let me pray for us as we get started today. Father, your presence is what we want. Your truth is is what we long for and what we desire. God, would you give us ears to hear from you directly? Would you give us hearts to discern what you would have for us? Remind us, Lord, that you are here in this place. You are here with us in our lives. Father, would you just show us what you would have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was scrolling through um, newsfeed recently, uh, or actually early this past week, I came on a, a, a story about a church in this place called, I'm going to mess up this name, Karakash. It's in the Nineveh Plains, Nineveh. So if you remember the story of Jonah, that Nineveh, okay? Uh, it's... The story was about how they celebrated Easter this year, and I found it fascinating. This first picture here is an image of the church as it was pre-recent persecution. This next picture is the church that they celebrated Easter Sunday in. No seats, over 100 Christians standing in this room taking communion and sharing um, Easter services together. I, um, I was quite taken aback by that. The church was burned, obviously, out completely, and those very people had to flee, flee for their lives. And as I was going through this, I started getting really curious about, well, is this something that I'm just not as aware of as I should be here in the comfort of the West? 
and I started doing a little bit more research, and, and there are uh, many news accounts that continue to surface about how Christians are being hunted down, beaten, and killed around the world. See, here in America, we're seeing like Christian-owned businesses that are being uh, fined into bankruptcy, Christians that are boycotted and threatened, but it begs the question, can we call those things persecution? Does that measure up with what we're seeing in that last picture there? In a 2016 article in Christianity Today entitled, Are American Christians Really Persecuted? The author writes this, Given the terrible persecution of Christians overseas, I wonder whether it's accurate to say that American Christians are under persecution. When I discuss the rise in anti-Christian hostility in the States, I avoid the P word, and I don't make comparisons to other parts of the world. But listen to a Middle Eastern underground church leader who says this, persecution is easier to understand when it's physical, whether that's torture, death, imprisonment. American persecution is like an advanced stage of cancer. It eats away at you, yet you can't feel it. This is the worst kind of persecution. A Syrian uh, remaining in the region to assist Christians cautioned this way. He said it wasn't only ISIS who laid waste to the church. Our cultural compromises with the government and our divisions against each other brewed for a long time. We are Damascus, the seat of Christianity. What happened to us can happen to you. Be careful. I read that again this morning uh, before uh, getting in the car. Just that part of it, and it just caught my attention. Our cultural compromises with the government. Sounds very familiar. And our divisions against each other brewed for a long time. And that hit dangerously close to home. Things that we see here. We don't see that level of persecution. We don't see people running down the street fleeing for their lives. We're in no danger here immediately. But persecution all the same is coming and has arrived. See, uh, he talks about Damascus being the seat of Christianity in that little blurb there. Damascus was one of the first regions to receive Christianity in the time of Peter. And I don't know about you, I, I struggle a little bit with that, with the reality of what that is and what's going on over there and even what's going on over here. And then as I started digging into this and doing some reading, I realized that, shame on me, I should not have been at all surprised that this was going to happen. Jesus himself warned us. He used very strong language, as a matter of fact. In John 15... 18 through 20, he says this, If the world hates you, 
know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, Jesus used really strong language. Even in our translation of it, he didn't say if the world is uncomfortable with you. He didn't say if the world just doesn't agree with you, but they're going to let you do your own thing. He said if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And that's really eye-opening when we think about it. It puts new light into situations when we ask the question, what has our faith cost us being Christians? Not a burnt-out church, perhaps, but certainly legal issues, job issues. I read this week about a... Um, a staff member at a college who lost her job because she spoke up about something she didn't agree with with the college pertaining to her Christian beliefs, which should be protected, and she lost her job. So jobs, legal issues. What about strained relationships with family and friends? Especially in the holiday times when we get together with extended family and there's always a little bit of that uncomfortable, so uh, you're going to do this church thing, huh? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, but it happens. Jesus reminds us that there will be a cost to following him. He said in uh, Matthew sixteen twenty four, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he talks about the cost that we're going to have to pay to be Christians, and there's going to be consequences for that. Don't you think there needs to be? Because if there wasn't a cost to following Jesus, would we really be making a commitment? I mean, if it was easy, if I could just sit home and say, yep, I'm with you, but I don't have to change who I am out in the real world. I can put on my Christian suit, my Christian clothes, come to church once a week, get my spiritual recharge, go home, and then just go back to doing whatever. Then there's no commitment. And if there's no commitment, then there's no cost. But there has to be a cost if we're truly committed. We have to be careful, though, because when persecution comes in whatever form that may be, we need to remember that we are also called to be like Jesus. Jesus is described in John 1.14 as full of grace and truth. Our words and actions must reflect the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Full of grace and truth. The truth never changes. We know that. We know the truth. We study the truth. We have the truth. But I think, I know me personally, sometimes I stumble on the grace. 
Because when somebody's wrong, it's just part of my personality that I want to correct. I want to prove it, you know. It's the competitive part of me, you know. Oh, wait, but you're wrong, and let me tell you how many ways why and why I'm right. If we miss that part of the grace, I don't think that we reach them. Because I know, like me, in my job, if somebody comes in and says, David, um, I saw that you were doing something this particular way. You're totally wrong. Let me show you my way and why. There's a good chunk of the brain up here, which, you know, I'll admit is there's not much of it, but still what's there, a good chunk of it will shut down out of stubbornness. You're not going to tell me. Not that way. You're not going to come in here and laud it over me. So I think it's so important that we remember that, that our Lord and Savior, full of grace and truth, that we are called to be that way as we struggle in culture and as we deal with persecution and suffering. The focal point of today's message is actually on Peter's words. In the letter that we call First Peter, which many scholars believe was written during the time of Nero's reign in Rome, we all remember that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. He blamed that on the Christians. So between 64 and 67 AD, the letter was addressed to the churches in Asia Minor, which we would call Turkey today. They uh, include many of the churches that Paul wrote to uh, in his epistles, including the Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. So Peter encourages the Christians on how to behave in the face of the persecution that they are enduring. Not much different than the picture that I showed you, that level of persecution. Peter says this, beginning in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That sentence caught my attention because what comes next is the will of God. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. It's a tough call. He goes on in verse 18. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
It's one thing to accept punishment when that punishment may be just. But what, what Peter is saying here is even when the punishment's not just, you haven't done anything to deserve what's happening to you. We still lead by example, by how we react and what we do. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's important to note that Peter was not revealing some new shocking truth to the early church. Jesus suffered and was persecuted. He witnessed that. So Paul, James, Peter, all of them, they they all knew. And they didn't shy away from talking about it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 4-5, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. I went down that list. I can identify with afflictions. I can identify with calamities to a degree. And maybe even labors, arguably, because I had to cut my grass yesterday. (laughs) And sleepless nights. There have been nights that I've lied awake worrying about things. Sure. But you look at this laundry list that Paul has put out that he has personally suffered for the sake of his faith in Jesus Christ, for the sake of turning his life that way. I can't even come close. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, hunger. I have never been hungry. I mean, hungry, but not, I've never gone hungry. See, Paul knew that these things that caused grief and these things that caused stress in his life, they were linked to something better, though. They were linked to a treasure more than gold. There was a reason that Paul was okay with enduring these things. There's a reason we should be okay with enduring anything that even comes close to that. Because he continues on in 2 Corinthians 6, I'm starting here at the second half of verse 8, 8 through 10. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. See, it may look one way to the world, but it's entirely different when we have that perspective. In the face of suffering of any kind, when any Christian feels pressure from the outside to change or to conform, Peter speaks to how they carry themselves to continue to be respectful, to carry ourselves in an honorable way. And I'll be honest, that gets tricky. It really does. We were talking today in in Sunday school about um, dying to the old old self and what that really means. And it was, I, I have to confess that this week as the sermon was coming to me and I was writing it out, 
Sometimes it's a very mechanical process, and sometimes it's, it's spiritual. You just know this is what I'm supposed to talk about today. And I knew early on, but then I began to doubt. I think that was the flesh that Pastor Chris was talking about because I couldn't figure out the why. I knew I had a message for today, and I knew enough that I was going to bench Pastor Chris today and say, let me do this, but I didn't understand the why. And today I got here and came into Sunday school, and they're, they're doing the second half of a lesson that began last week on the flesh. And all of a sudden, the puzzle pieces that were missing kind of started to fall into place. And I saw why I was supposed to talk about this. Because of the two natures that, that we read about and, and we try to understand this whole thing about, you know, who we are, what's our trajectory, where, where are we now that we're saved, as opposed to who we were before we were saved. And how does that play into how we react when we are persecuted or when we suffer in any way? Because suffering can be something as simple as um, a broken relationship, like I mentioned. Some, it could be something serious. It could be an illness. It could be the death, a death in the family. It could be anything. It could be the loss of a job. It could be, um, it, I don't know. I mean, there's each one of us, if I asked you, you could probably give me 10 different things. Many of you from personal experience. But the difference between us where we are, and those who don't know the Lord is all about the perspective of what's out there, of what, what comes after this. It's hope and it's faith that there's more than just this. See, it gets tricky because the, the, the flesh side of me, when things start to go bad, well, I want to lash back. If somebody gets ugly with me, my initial instinct is to get ugly back. But that's not what I'm called to do. Because I can say every day, all day, I can get a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on my car that I'm a Christian. But if the walk isn't equaling the talk, I'm just a guy with a mouth. A guy who knows some stuff, but he's not living it. And that's what we're called for. We are called to, to step in, to walk that way, to live that way, despite what's happening, despite our circumstances. And it just isn't that easy at times. And I'm sure everyone here can attest to that. Whether that's at school, dealing with a situation, whether that's at work, whether, wherever it is. Even at the store. I had somebody steal a parking spot on me at Home Depot yesterday. That, you know. It's not always easy. There's a, there's a great book. Uh, it's called The 66 Love Letters from God. It's by a man named Dr. Larry Crabb. Two Bs. Says, he says this, and each chapter is pertaining to a book of the Bible. And so I looked up to see... Uh, I kind of skipped ahead because I'm not that far into the book yet, but I wanted to see what he said about First Peter. And, and the way he writes this book, it's, it's a dialogue between him and God, you know, asking God, well, what are you trying to tell me in this book? You know, in First in, in Peter, this love letter to me, what are you trying to say? 
And there's a section here that caught my attention, and so I want to share this with you. He says, Father, that's what I do. You have me living in a world that I know is not my home. But I am tempted every day to go for a walk into my culture and compromise myself just enough to feel like I belong there, to feel comfortable and at peace with my life in this world. I could identify with that. It's hard not to feel like a foreigner in our own culture at times. But when we set our focus on that not yet, when we shift our attention from the now, the suffering, the persecution, to the then, then we're following exactly what Peter instructed us to do later on in 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 through 17. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The hope that is in you despite suffering and persecution. Every time I see that man, he smiles at me. And he didn't know I was going to embarrass him. I didn't know I was going to until just now. But every time. Because there was a hope in him. And there's a hope in me, but it's not that big yet. And that's just, it's night and day difference. I mean, think about it. Think about the people that Pastor Chris bumps into that must ask, where does that hope come from? We know. Cobb talks about the temptation to walk into culture. And we can't avoid that. It's all around us. I mean, short of starting up a fenced community, what sort of options do we have? I'm going to build a commune and, and just stay together, just us. Okay, just the Christian folks. But what we can avoid is the compromising part. That temptation that he talks about. See, we know that we are in the world. And I would argue with any one of you here, if you so chose, that we can't spread the gospel any other way. We have to be in the world in order to get the message out there. If we built this commune with these big walls and we fenced ourselves in and protected us from culture, then how do we reach them? How do we do what Jesus has called us to do? We have to walk into our culture we just don't have to compromise 
Let me do it. The most effective way, I think, is not by our talking. It's by our doing. It's by our actions. It's by our choices. 4, 7 through 11, he says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Amen. (laughs) Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him belong. My fourth time reading through this, as I was writing it all out, I kind of parked for a minute where he says, um, whoever speaks oracles of God. Because I speak. It's what I do when I get the opportunity. But then he goes on to say, but whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Because I think that sometimes there's a misconception among Christians that the heavy lifting has to be done by the person up here doing the speaking. And speaking is only part of the equation. There is truth. But if we don't serve others, again, if the walk doesn't match the talk, you may not even do the talk, but you may do the walk. And who you are and what you do and who you bump up against, I I feel like evangelism is like a relay race. At some point, you are going to have the baton. You may not even realize it. And you may bump up against somebody and what you do for them is going to mean so much more than anything you say. And that may not bring them to Christ. It might not. Short term. But then the baton gets handed off to somebody else that they bump up against. Eventually, it'll come around. I believe that. I believe that the words instruct. I believe they help with formation. I believe they help with with uh, building up but I believe the groundwork the nitty gritty that's done by what people see and how we act and I believe that, that Peter is calling us to remember both of those things see we need to remember that persecution and suffering part of that commitment is part of the package of becoming a Christian however that looks When we commit our lives to follow Jesus, we have to accept that we will bump up against surrounding culture and it's not always going to be a pleasant experience. It's happened since the dawn of the Christian church and it will continue until Jesus returns. To that end, we are his stewards 
we are his representatives. And there are some things that we can practice that I think will do far more than any words that we can say. First of all, we can be self-controlled. Careful how we say what we say when we have the opportunity. We can also be self-controlled in our deeds and our behaviors and, and the things and how we present ourselves. I'm not suggesting, certainly, that you deny who you are, you know, as, as, a, as a human being, but, but what I'm suggesting is we were talking today in Sunday school about how um, the new creation that you are, how that affects your view of, of sin, because it, um, you, you're aware of it at that point when it happens. That doesn't mean that you're free from it completely, but you can be aware of it. And that's when this comes in. Be self-controlled in your actions and in your words. Number two, this one, everybody knows. Love and pray for those you encounter. Everyone. Even that person that leaves their garbage can out, you know, right in the middle of the street who lives two doors down from me, and I don't know them by name, but I do love them and pray for them. Even the person that almost made me miss my turn to Starbucks this morning as I was coming up into Oak Ridge. Yes, love them and pray for them. Pray for those you encounter. Number three, practice hospitality. This one's tricky for some of us. Some of us who have like introvert tendencies a little bit, you know, I have to go home and, and kind of do a slight um, by myself recharge. Um, but to be hospitable. Some people, it's just a thing. It's just... That, that's, that's how they do it, you know. Um, we, we went to Chris and Robin's house for a cookout, and I'm not bragging, although the food was great, and, um, uh, and Robin just kept bringing food out. And poor Chris, I mean, the grill's only so big, and, and he's got, I mean, I thought it was full, but he's, like, folding the laws of physics, and he's bringing, and I said, there's only six of us here, right, or eight of us here, and he said, Robin's always been this way. I've learned not to argue. Because she's being hospitable. She wanted to make sure we were well-fed and we were well-fed. So, um, but practice hospitality. In whatever way that you can practice hospitality, what works for you, be hospitable. Say hello to that person at work that you may normally try to scoop by because you know they're a talker. Right? Stop. Say hello. Ask them how their weekend was. Number four, Present the truth of Jesus in your lives through your words and actions, but do it with grace. So we were talking, as I mentioned down in um, Sunday school this morning, about living out this idea of who we are um, in Christ as a new creation. And uh, Pastor Chris wrote out some bullet points. He And I'm going to steal right from it, so here we go. It says, uh, I began living out a new paradigm of spiritual life, incorporating what now appears to be the plainer sense of Romans 6, which is where we were camped out uh, this morning. Um, but there are a couple of really important points, because I struggle with these, and I'm sure everybody struggles with these. And I put three asterisks next to bullet point number three. Um, he, he said this, um, in living out his life 
his, uh, this new paradigm of spiritual life, it did not magically eradicate sin from my life, but it gradually took away my sense of sin's inevitability, and therefore it increased my sense of ability and responsibility to live in a holy manner. He also said, uh, gradually it has helped me identify with the New Testament descriptions of a Christian so that I don't think of the Christian life as becoming something I'm not yet, but as living out what I already am. Because of who we are, because of the Holy Spirit in us, because of our nature, it changes how culture can affect us, how the world hits us whether that's suffering and persecution or just a Wednesday for you. It does change. We have that hope. We have that promise that so many don't understand or don't have. Um, last night, it's so funny because uh, last night I was uh, I was getting ready for bed and uh, Angie and I were talking about this morning and she asked me if I was... Um, if I was feeling good about it, I mean, and I said, yeah, but there's, there's just something at the, at the, there's just still something missing. And I was doing what I shouldn't be doing. I was staying up too late going through my Facebook feed. And um, somebody posted this in, in a meme, and it hit me, and I'm like, uh, uh, that's it. I'm, I'm actually going to pull it up here because I've, I've got the, the Bible um, here, but I'm not sure I have the right verse for me. Here we go. This is from Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. When you're facing persecution and suffering in any way, shape, or form, when you feel like you know Rocky at the end of the first movie where you're just getting pummeled and all you can do is keep your hands up, remember that the Lord your God is the one who goes with you He's fighting for you, and he's fighting against your enemies to give you victory. Because that's the truth. That, that's, that's the end game. That's the long term, the truth, when we have that. Let me pray for us. Father, persecution and suffering can come in so many different ways and styles, Lord. We know that we are in this world, but we are not called to be of this world, and that is a real tricky tightrope to walk at times. Would you remind us of your presence in a very tangible way? This week, whatever we're facing, whatever it, whenever it may seem like we're, we're alone in what we're suffering through, God, would you just be there in a way that we can, we just know. Would you remind us that you are fighting for us, that there is a victory, and that victory is you. Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name.